Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why does making friends as an adult feel so What hard? should I wear on a first date? What the date? hell is a form of But that Why is was not good. So what do I want my life to look like in five years? We, we want to know too. Since 2012, the Every Girl has been an online destination to help women around the world achieve the life of their dreams. Now, we're excited to bring you the same inspiring content with the Every Girl Podcast. Happy Tuesday, guys. It's your host, Josie, and today we are covering all things friendship. Honestly, no one talks about it enough, but making and keeping friends as an adult is so hard. I personally really miss the days where you'd meet someone in class, you guys would play together on the playground, you'd invite them over for a sleepover, you're braiding each other's hair, and then you could call each other best friends. Obviously, in adulthood, it is not that easy, though I wish it was. Our guest today, Miriam Kiermeyer, is a clinical psychologist and leading expert on friendship who has spent over 10 years researching the science of social connection. So this episode is not just, you know, like the fluffy advice you might get from your mom or sister as much as I love that kind of advice. No offense to my mom or sister, but this episode is full of really tangible tips on forming meaningful connections that will improve your quality of life. It's all um, psychology-based. It's really, really interesting. Miriam has also written articles for theeverygirl.com, which we will link to in the show notes if you want more of her, which I guarantee you will after listening to this episode. We talk a lot about improving the friendships you have and what a quality friendship looks like. And we also dive into making new friends as an adult. Personally, I moved to LA knowing barely anyone right before the pandemic hit. So making new friends has been such a struggle for me. Her advice was extremely helpful and she offers tangible tips that changed the way I understood friendships as an adult. Seriously, it was kind of mind-blowing. I know you guys are going to love this episode and will want to send it to all your friends, sisters, coworkers, relatives, whoever is in your friendship circle. Enjoy and please welcome Miriam Kiermeyer to the Every Girl Podcast. Before we dive in, this week's review comes from Taylor Agathon. Sorry in advance for butchering that name. And it says, this podcast is it. Ashley Selicki's happy hour episode on career shifts made me feel empowered and validated. Careers really do hit us emotionally like relationships do. There's a reason I care about mine so much. I don't normally consider myself a podcast girly, but I love this one. It reminds me with each episode that as women, we can do anything. I love you, The Every Girl. Thanks for covering topics and having conversations that make me feel strong. Taylor, I want to frame this and print it out and hang it above my bed and read it every single night. Thank you so much for this wonderful, amazing review. Don't forget to DM us at The Every Girl Podcast on Instagram so we can get you your Starbucks gift card. And everybody else out there, don't forget to leave a five-star rating and tell us what you're loving about the podcast, which episodes you're liking, because it really helps us to know what type of guests to keep bringing on and what kind of content to offer you that is most beneficial for you because that is always our goal. And don't forget, you can also win a Starbucks gift card. And I personally have spent so much freaking money on pumpkin spice lattes 
just in the past few weeks. So I know that's going to help a lot of people out. So don't forget to leave a review and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is probably one of the more requested topics people want to hear about. So we're excited to dive in and learn from your expertise. Yeah, we got so many questions about friendships and we consistently, I feel like over the years, right, Elaine, it's like everybody wants to know about friendships as an adult and everything. So we have so many questions for you that selfishly I can't wait to hear about, but I know our audience is so excited for. Well, I'm so glad that people are talking about this and I'm really happy to be here. I'd love to start off with what does a healthy friendship life even look like? Because some people feel like they have too few friends, you know, or they don't have enough close friends, especially with social media. It feels like there's a lot of friendship FOMO. So can you set the record straight? What does a healthy friendship life look like? And how many friends do you need? How do you know if you need to work hard on your friendships or if they're healthy? Like what are some telltale signs? Yeah, there's so much richness in what you just said. And it definitely resonates, I would say, personally and professionally, because one of the themes that I hear certainly in work with clients and anytime I'm doing a workshop or, you know, I'm talking to people about their friendships is that pressure that you just described of the desire for more, right? More friends, um, more interactions, more closeness. And I think it's really important that we check in with ourselves about where that pressure is coming from, because sometimes it is a helpful signal, right? It's a little reminder um, that we all need to feel connected to the people around us and that we do benefit from friendship. And so when we can kind of channel that feeling into closer, healthier connections and expand our social network in healthy ways, then that's great. The downside comes when that pressure is coming from external sources and the beliefs that so many of us have about friendships, that idea that we should have more friends, we should have a best friend, that more is better. And I think the big takeaway when it comes to answering this question about what makes for a healthy friendship or a healthy social life or healthy social network is that it's quality over quantity. And the research really supports this, that having close quality connections is much more important than the size of our network or how many friends we have. And I think that's something that we so easily lose sight of because of social media, because that desire to quantify. And because again, we don't talk about this. We don't, we don't really know all that much in our day-to-day life about how many friends we should have. And so the research shows that having even just one friend, somebody that we can turn to, that we can count on, that we can open up to, that is in many ways enough, so to speak, when it comes to reaping the benefits of friendship that we can certainly go into. Um, having close friends is associated with better outcomes for our mental health, for our physical well-being, for professional success even. And so having even just that one person, that's the biggest bang for your buck, going from zero to one as opposed to one and more. But there's still a lot of felt pressure. And so... Yeah, I mean, you know, we can we can dive into this more in terms of what does that one friendship look like or or what do we want our friendships to look like? But I think quality over quantity is really the big takeaway here. Totally. Yeah, I want to dive into what that looks like. And it, it's it's interesting though to hear you explain it that way because it it sounds like our friendships are very much tied to our own self-worth, like that we really have this concept of if we have a lot of friends, that means we're cool or we're doing it right or that we're worthy. Like, why is that? Like, is that a, from childhood where like, why do we have such this tie with our friendships to our own self-worth? 
Yeah, it's, that's a really good question. So two things come to mind here. One is I do think that the way we portray friendships in the media plays a role in this, that people's expectations about what their friend groups should look like, the idea that every person in the group will be close as well, and the expectations that we have surrounding the group dynamics, that can certainly create that pressure. So I, I definitely think that's that's a big part of it. When it comes to looking at the quality of a friendship, there's two sides to this. And I think this is something that's often overlooked. So when we measure friendship quality in research, for example, there's the positive aspect and there's the so-called negative aspect. And the negative aspect or scale looks at friendship conflict. So how much um, disagreements there are, whether there's arguing, um, the extent to which you don't really feel understood by the other person. And the positive scale looks at things like intimacy and trust and the amount of time you spend together and how much you enjoy that time. And so that is one way that we can look at how close or um, high quality a friendship is. And nowhere in that are any expectations about mutual friends and the size of your friend group. And in fact, it's not really it's not really quantifying it either. It's really subjective, right? We get to decide what enough intimacy is for us, what enough frequency is for us. And I think we so easily lose sight of that again, that subjective piece here, because what works for one person might not work for another, right? I might just have a higher need for how often I see my friends or how often I speak to them than somebody else. And so we really do need to be honest with ourselves about what it is we're looking for. Totally. That's a really interesting way to define it. I was just thinking, Josie, with that question you asked about like why this need for more. And I'm just thinking back personally, like when you're in those school years of being left out, like thinking of social gatherings going on and being, and I went to a really big school and it was like, you were aware of how frequently you were invited or not. And it seemed like other people who had all these friends, a much larger group of friends, the person who's friends with everybody was always like had their finger on the pulse of what was going on socially. And you know, I think I, I'm just wondering if it kind of stems from that, like those formative years of wanting to be included um, and not left out. It definitely can. And I think this is, this again is a really important point because we talk so often about the impact of early experiences and early relationships when it comes to our other relationships, right? If we look from an attachment perspective, our relationship with our caregivers, with our parents certainly influence our later relationships and you know, the role that we take on as parents and caregivers ourselves and our early romantic relationships and crushes set the stage for how we feel about ourselves as a romantic partner and as a sexual being even. But we don't always make that explicit link between our early friendships and early social and peer experiences and our later friendships. And truthfully, I see this playing out in so many different ways. People who have struggled and they're are so many of us who have felt left out, right? Or less than, or wanting to be in a particular group. That can lead to vulnerabilities and sensitivities later on. That can set the stage for the kinds of friends that we attract into our lives and and that feeling of longing or lacking that so many people experience. And so I really do want to normalize that, that if this has long been a struggle for you, it makes sense that this is still hard. And I also see the opposite, that people who, for whatever reason, had a lot of so-called success socially when they were younger. They had a good friend group. They had close friends. Maybe they were in a particular um, group in high school. Although I do want to make a distinction here between popularity and being liked because those are actually two different things. So we can talk more about that for sure. But people who have had that 
perceived social success also go on to struggle with their friendships as adults. And that can be really challenging too, because it's very confusing to make sense of why is it that this thing was so easy for me when I was younger. And all of a sudden I find myself in a position where I have not as many friends as I would like, and I don't necessarily have the confidence or I feel like I have the skills to go out and make friends. And so I I really think there isn't anyone who's immune to friendship struggles because they touch so many different areas of our lives. And that's true regardless of what our past experience has been. That's really interesting because you're so right that we, it's kind of been normalized that we look into our past as a way to understand our romantic relationships and our, you know, relationships with our families, but it's not really talked about to look into our past to understand our relationships with our friends. Like that actually is kind of mind-blowing to me because I've never even thought of that before in that way. So it's so true. So jumping forward to adulthood, the million-dollar question, the biggest question we get, how do you make friendships as an adult? What are those ways you recommend meeting and beginning friendships? You know, how do you get past surface level? Can you touch on that and and give some advice? Because I know everybody, myself included, is like, what is the secret? Right, right. What What is the answer to this question, right? So this is something that I talk a lot about in my Instagram community because I try and, first of all, again, normalize uh, the fact that so many of us are going through this and so few of us are talking about it. And it really is hard to find the right type of support and information out there, right? If you're looking for something to normalize how uncomfortable and difficult and awkward it can be dating, that's there, right? If you're looking for apps or platforms or communities to support you in that process of finding a romantic partner, that's there. And our friend group is also there to support us in that process, right? But when we're looking for new friends, it can really feel like we don't know where to turn or who to turn to for support. So it really can be very difficult. As I said, for a lot of people this is something that they've long struggled with. For other people, it you know we feel out of practice. Like when was the last time realistically we had to suddenly approach somebody new and get a friendship off the ground and be vulnerable in that way? And it's it can be really awkward. So I think the, the first step is really to normalize that. That it's hard, not because there's anything wrong with you or because it says anything about your worth as a friend, but because it is hard. And a lot of the advice when I give it, it sounds a lot like I'm giving dating advice because my first thing that I always say is put yourself out there, right? Which is a saying that... I don't love it because it kind of means nothing, but at the same time, it means everything because we aren't going to be able to meet new people unless we step outside of our normal routine, right? And so for many people, the first place to start is by turning inward again and thinking about what is something that I enjoy? What is something I like doing? What is something I'm passionate about? What what is an activity that aligns with my values and my interests? And to use that as your guide. And why that's so helpful is because you will put yourself in a situation where you're likely to meet new people by trying something new. These are people with whom you'll share something in common and similarity or shared interests or experiences is very often the root of friendship. And then the other piece of this is it's really hard to put ourselves in a situation where we have an explicit social goal. So to say, I'm going to go to this party and I'm going to make a new friend, right? Or I'm going to go out tonight and I'm going to get somebody's number because I'm interested in, in dating them. That puts a lot of pressure and that pressure backfires. But if we can essentially not trick ourselves, but motivate ourselves with another 
goal, right? A goal of exploring something that we like doing, that we're passionate about, again, that aligns with our values, that eases the pressure. And that actually makes it more likely that we will feel comfortable being ourselves, feel more comfortable approaching people and attract people who are likewise interested in making friends. And so using your interests and skills and values as a guide is incredibly helpful. If that doesn't feel realistic, if you're having a hard time stepping outside of your comfort zone, it can also help to think about how do we turn acquaintances into friends, right? Sometimes there are those more surface level relationships that you're kind of alluding to. And those people might have great friend potential. And for whatever reason, because our schedules don't always align, because again, vulnerability is hard, because we just haven't thought about being intentional in the relationship, we haven't progressed to a friendship. But there might be great friendship potential that's worth exploring. And then I said this before about dating, but there are apps too, actually, to make friends and to connect with new people. So how how do you turn those like acquaintances into deep friendships? Like, especially if people don't have time to invest, like how do you turn that into under the surface level friendship? Yeah, so it does take time. And I think, uh, again, a big part of making friends is owning our piece in this and taking responsibility for the viability of a relationship. We don't want to take full responsibility, right? Because it's it's a, it's a dyad. There's two people involved in this friendship and both people need to be invested and equally invested in order for it to thrive and succeed. But we do need to recognize that friendships aren't just going to happen. And the same way we need to push ourselves out of our comfort zone to be in the right setting... We also need to push ourselves to do the work of moving from casual acquaintances to closer friends. And so there are different ways to do this, right? Time, as I said before, is important. We see that the more time we spend with people, the closer we end up feeling. And so if you can choose activities, for example, that give you the chance for repeated interactions, right? Where it's a weekly or monthly thing, and you know that there's already that frequency and repetition and consistency built into the structure, that's going to be hugely helpful. But we also see that it's not enough to just be in the same setting, right? Because I think all of us can think of people that we work with, that we socialize with, people we have mutual friends with that we've spent a lot of time with, but we haven't really moved from acquaintances to friends. And why is that, right? Because there's a lot of other stuff going on about how connected we feel, how we're showing up that, yeah, we can definitely talk more about like, how do we communicate our interest, right? And how do we act in a way that helps us to build that closeness over time? So everything you're saying, it does remind me so much of dating. And I'm just picturing myself being at like, I don't know, call it a cocktail event or a networking event, like a a work event, right? And you might have a dozen short conversations with a bunch of people. And I, I feel like sometimes it's just those niceties and you can't break through. And then all of a sudden, person Y shows up and you just click and it's like dating, right? Like you just click. Either they make a joke that is like right in line with your humor or they reference a show you love or a life experience, whatever it is. It's just funny how like it can come so naturally when it does. And then, and again, this could be one person out of 20. Like it's not like there's something wrong with you. I want to emphasize for everyone listening. It's just about connecting and, and it does take time and it takes a lot of interactions, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just something to, uh, that I've noticed in my own life. Like you either just click with someone and it's so easy. Again, just like dating, like when you meet the right person, it's like, oh, it's just so easy. There's so much to say about that. So what you're describing, 
there's actually a term for it, which is called friendship chemistry. And this is essentially like love at first sight, but for our friendships. And so there are some people for whatever reason with whom we just connect much more organically, much more quickly. Oftentimes it's certain personality variables are matching up like a certain level of openness and gregariousness. And so that feels really good, right? And that's a really good sign that we have friendship potential here, right? That that this is worth investing in. And so that's really lovely when that happens. I do caution a little bit against that because I think while it's very helpful, that isn't always the case. And sometimes we can miss out on friendships with people with whom we would really have a great relationship, um, but we don't experience that instant connection. And so I think it's worth for sure devoting our energy and attention into those people without assuming that that needs to be there in order to have a healthy and fulfilling friendship. And I think that's important advice to keep in mind when we're really looking for new friends. Because if we walk around thinking that we need that instant chemistry, just like with dating too, sometimes people are looking for that spark, um, which is lovely when it happens, but it's not always there. And there are certain relationships that you know progress over time and a little bit more slowly that end up being really healthy relationships. And so just being open to the people that we are connecting with can go a long way. And sometimes it's also about a little bit of a warm up, right? Like we're at a party, we're at a networking event, we've spoken to so many people, we're feeling out the situation, we're getting a little bit more comfortable socializing. I think, especially now when so many of us have felt out of practice with respect to socializing, right? That there needs to be a little bit of a warm up period. And then the right person comes in, but it's also, it's not just about the other person, it's about where we are with respect to our mindset and how comfortable we feel in that setting, that suddenly we are in a position to engage and respond. And the truth is also, we like people who like us. And so the more other people kind of communicate to us that they like us and that they're interested in getting to know us, we respond in kind. And so the more you can communicate that to somebody and also be open to receiving that, that goes a long way too for those early interactions. Can you talk more about that? That's, I was just going to say that's so good because I, I do feel like when we're trying to make friends, especially as an adult, where we're like, it's a new skill to actually make a friend because before we've been in groups in school and whatever that we've kind of had friendships happen. And this is the one time as an adult that we have to go out and seek them. So I think that we get in our heads about, okay, well, I have to come off really charming and impressive and fun and interesting. When in reality, I think like what you're saying is actually a phenomenal tip where it's it's less about how we come off and actually more about how someone else feels when we're, when they're around us, right? Yes. Yes. I, you know, you made me think of something in what you just said, which is instead of trying to come across as interesting, come across as interested, right? Come across as being interested in somebody else. What's going on in their life? Who are they? What are their likes and dislikes? What are the subtle personality traits that you're picking up on that you're really curious to learn more about? And conveying that curiosity demonstrates our interest in getting to know somebody, which demonstrates you know a, a certain liking. And that is really helpful. And I, you're right that it's so easy to speak to ourselves again in a certain way that creates pressure, right? I need to say the right thing. I need to be witty. I need to have good banter. I need to be interesting. And that isn't all that helpful, right? It takes us away from the present moment and we want to feel present. People pick up on presence. People can tell when we're thinking about our long to-do lists or our kids at home, or that thing that somebody said to us this morning at the coffee shop, right? We can tell when somebody's not present. And presence is also really, really appealing. Uh, because I 
think that so many of us are not present in our day to day, right? We do have a lot of stresses going on and technology is designed to keep us away from the present moment. And that too is a skill, focusing our attention in the moment and something that I think most of us would benefit from practicing and putting into practice more often. I love that. I think we all need to practice that being interested not focused on interesting. I love that. Um, If I could switch gears a little bit to another topic that I know impacts everyone at some point in their life is one of those big challenges about adult friendships is being at different life stages as perhaps people who have been in your life for a long time or even a newer friend that maybe you just made a year or two ago. So, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now and I've had this same group of friends since sixth grade, which is crazy. That's like over 20 years of friendship. And so in our twenties and thirties, we've been through it all, even I guess, starting with going off to college, but like from engagements and marriages to having kids, to being at different places in our careers, like you just, it's a challenging time. I'd love to hear a little bit like about how you make a friendship work through those really like when you're at different phases, like everything, you always had everything in common. And now all of a sudden it feels like maybe you're on two different worlds and and experiencing two different things. Yeah. Well, let me preface this by saying, first of all, I'd love to hear from you too, in terms of how you've made those friendships work, because (laughs) I think that that's, that's so amazing and can be so rare. And I know it's something that, you know, a lot of people hope for is to have those long lasting friendships. And so kudos to you and your group of friends for making that work, because that is no (laughs) easy feat. There is so much pulling us apart, right? The other thing I should say, actually, is I wrote a piece on this for the Every Girl many years ago yes, on yes. how to maintain a friendship when you're in different life stages. Yeah, because again, this is one of those friendship experiences that catches us by surprise and we're caught mm-hmm. off guard. And I actually think the best thing that we can do to stay close when navigating change is to have discussions beforehand, right? Don't wait until the change happens to talk about what's going on or what you fear might happen or what you want to have happen. So if a friend is having a baby or, you know, if you're, if you're having a a child for the first time, you're expanding your family in that way, or if you're moving across the country or you're starting a new job where there are different expectations or you're pursuing entrepreneurship and you're really, you know, diving deep and devoting your whole self to this amazing project, things are going to change. Things will change. And sometimes in unanticipated ways and labeling that upfront and opening up a dialogue is so helpful for a number of reasons. One, it communicates that you're thinking of the other person, that they they are important to you and that your friendship is important in your life and that you're centering that in some way. And conveying that, conveying that importance and the value you place in that relationship is so appreciated and so important and will bring such a sense of resiliency to the relationship. The second piece is you're able to have discussions to figure things out, right? To figure out, well, how do I need to be adjusting my expectations? And what are your expectations of how our friendship might change? And what are you hoping to have happen? And how can we revisit this conversation later on? And so you're actually able to put into practice certain mindset shifts or behaviors that will help you to preserve that friendship. And then the third piece is that it just opens that dialogue. And so when you if or when you need to revisit it, it doesn't feel like this monumental thing, this feeling or this dynamic that's been felt and present and is causing anxiety and distance. It's just, hey, remember, you know, we talked about that in terms of how often we wanted to be speaking or, or how I needed to, you know, adjust however it is we're communicating. Here's what I'm noticing lately. So I think having the discussion beforehand is so important. Yeah, no, no, that's... I've. 
to personally, that feels like it could be so awkward to mm-hmm. like, like, I'm just looking back at like when I was expecting my first child yeah. and like, you know, and then what happens in that transition is you are all of a sudden connecting with people who have gone through it yeah. and you might be feeling more detached from those who haven't. And maybe you're not even feeling that, but maybe they don't want to be talking about it because they're not there yet. Yeah. And I feel like that's where like the rift can kind of happen. And, and then you're, you're in it and you don't even realize that like, you're kind of pulling apart and not by intent, just because of life circumstances. I don't know. I yeah. I don't even know how I would have it before because you don't know what's going to happen, like how things will change. But I, I like that idea. You don't, but let me ask you a question, right? If you were in a relationship, a romantic relationship, which you are, right? But mm-hmm. let's a hypothetical different mm-hmm. one, right? And your partner said, I am going to be moving in six months for work you'd talk about it in terms of, not just in terms of the job, but you'd talk about how this is going to impact your relationship, right? That would be super normal and appropriate. And well, how are we going to stay in touch? And how are we going to stay close? And how often are we going to see each other? And right, those discussions would just be had naturally. And again, we don't emphasize that type of communication in our friendships the same way, even though our friendships really benefit from it. And so it's less about having all the answers, right? I talked a little bit about problem solving, but it's less about saying, okay, here's exactly the plan of how we're going to make this work. It's much more about communicating our desire to stay friends and communicating an openness to talking about what's going on. That I think is the key above and beyond whatever specifics happen in the context of that conversation. It also gives us a chance to talk about the things that we really, really do want to preserve, right? Are there certain traditions or activities that you do together or certain types of conversations? Do you catch up about a certain show that you both watch or even watch it together at the same time, right? Can you identify certain things that happen in your friendship that you really want to hold on to? And can you work to prioritize that above and beyond all the other stuff that will change? Um, And being able to maintain aspects of the friendship that were there before this major life transition, that's also really important. Yeah, that's so helpful. I feel like with friendships, you toe that line of honesty versus like being brutally honest to the point of like, are you just hurting someone's feelings? And again, Mm -hmm. this could be, uh, hey, you're in this relationship now and I feel really left behind. Like, I think a lot of people in their friendships keep things kind of nice. Like they do, they, they don't want to rock the boat in the sense of like offending a friend or, or hurting feelings or being vulnerable or sounding catty, but really it's just opening up about their feelings. I don't yeah. even know what I'm trying to say here. I just feel like getting to that deeper, almost the way you talk with a family member, right? Like what? that, like raw honesty. Yeah. What like level of honesty do you think? And again, honesty, openness, yeah. like having the hard conversations is needed in a friendship. So I think, okay, so first of all, context is so important here, right? And we need to use our best judgment, of course. But I think there's two pieces that you're really highlighting. The first is that it depends. It depends on the relationship in question, that there are some friends and some friendships where this type of radical honesty is helpful and appropriate and needed and expected. And the truth is, if we want to deepen our friendships that this is this is the pathway there. This is the route we want to take is to be able to voice the concerns that we have to open up about our needs, um, what we're feeling, right? That self-disclosure piece is 
is what takes us from acquaintances to friends and is what helps us to experience mm-hmm. more closeness and satisfaction in our friendships. But there are different types of friendships. And there are some people, especially early on in a friendship, where being all in, right, and being radically honest uh, can backfire. And so again, judgment is important, but it is, it, it is also important to show up and share and to be talking about what's really going on. And there's a way to do this that doesn't come across as blaming or shaming. The more we can focus on our own experiences and needs, the more tolerable the message is, right? So it's less about you're doing this, right? It's less about you don't call me enough anymore, or Mm -hmm. you're not invested in our friendship the way um, I need you to be or the way you, you used to be and you've changed, right? It's much more about, you know what? I'm in a place where I'm noticing that I really want to be talking to you a little bit more often. And I could use a little bit more regularity when it comes to our discussions. Is that something that you're feeling? Is that something that you've noticed? And that's where the invitation is, right? Because we don't just want to share our needs and and expect our friends to respond in kind or in the way that we like them to. We want to invite them in. What are you noticing? Invite them in with curiosity. What is this like for you, right? Invite them in by showing an openness and a desire to understand their perspective as well. I think that's the key to having those conversations successfully. Absolutely. Instead of putting the blame, like you said, putting the blame on someone, but I think that's great that anyone can take, take that as a tip, um, and apply it. So another pivotal thing that happens, I think in your twenties, thirties, forties, whenever it is, is being the first. And then sometimes being the last, I'd love to pivot back a little bit about being at those life stages, different life stages with your friends and something that is bound to happen in your twenties, thirties, maybe forties, whenever it is, is, there are people out there who will either be the first and then sometimes the last in a group of friends to experience some major life event. What's coming to mind is that first person to have a kid and how lonely that can sometimes feel. And then also being the last, feeling like all of your friends have taken this next step in life and you still haven't. And you can feel very left behind, left out, like you're not keeping up with your friends in that way. Um, I don't know. Do you have any advice on how to handle that loneliness that comes with being the first or being the last? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. So here's what I think is important here. I'm going to sound a little bit like a broken record, but I think that normalizing our emotions and our experiences, and not just normalizing them, but validating them goes a long, long way. So reminding ourselves that no matter if we're the first, the last, the the third, right? If it hasn't happened yet and it's something that we really (laughs) want and we're feeling that sense of longing, not just loneliness, that is okay that we feel sad, lonely, angry, resentful, envious, whatever it is. Because so often what happens is that we feel that that loneliness or that longing or that lacking. And we judge ourselves for that. We judge ourselves for those experiences. We judge ourselves for all the emotions I just described before. And that just creates further distance and disconnection. And so validating our emotions, saying it's okay that I feel this way. It's normal that I feel this way. I'm entitled to feel this way. And speaking to ourselves the way we wish our friends would speak to us, treating ourselves with self-compassion is really, really crucial. I also think it helps to be transparent about what we need. Because if we're the first in our group of friends going through an experience, the people around us might not necessarily have that insight or awareness into what would be helpful or realistic, right? I mean, 
people show up all the time with gifts for a baby when what you really want is somebody to hold the baby so you could take a bath or a shower, right? Yes, like, yes. And just saying that and being open and honest, again, can go a long way towards feeling supported, getting the kind of support that you need and helping your experience to feel seen, to not feel so alone in that. And that's true for if you're the last in your group of friends to enter parenthood, if that's something that you want, right? Um, being open about how, you know, I'm feeling like I could use a bit more support. And I know it's hard to remember what those early baby days are like, but here's what I'm going through. Or, you know, I'm really feeling like I I, I want to mark this occasion with my friends and and um, how can we do that, you know, in a way that's, that's going to bring us all closer together. Just being really open about what we need is important. And I also think we don't want to place the the burden of care and support only on the person who's going through these major life experiences and challenges in some ways too, right? The more we as friends can take the initiative of showing up and really working to, whether it's honor or celebrate or grieve alongside a friend and take that initiative, that is really appreciated too. So I think it's really about working together to figure out a way to make each person's experience feel as though it is important and just as important, whether it's the first time or the 10th time. I feel like it's like the FOMO piece of it coming in here too, again, because I I think about like with, with anything, like if it's a really fulfilling, successful career and it's, you know, right out of college and one person, you know, gets this amazing career right away and they can't go hang out all the time, like the rest of their friends are because they're in this career, but then also vice versa of, you know, if you're the last person, all your friends have all this career success and you're like, what am I doing with my life? Either way, it, it doesn't feel great when it comes to your friendship. So it's almost like there's that, like we talked about the friendship FOMO, like I'm missing out on this. I'm doing something wrong. Like it, it goes back to the self-worth being tied to friendships, right? Definitely. Definitely. You're also making me think of something else, which is that I, I part of navigating this internally and with friends is shifting our perspective. And it's not about the one-to-one, right? It's not that we, well, I celebrated this first. And so, you know, we need to make sure that this celebration is is equal, right? Like that's very much a mindset that we right. get into with that our siblings growing up, right? Of like, we needed yes. to be equal, right? We needed to be fair. But I, I think if we can also celebrate the other things that are going on in our friends' lives along the way, along the, the journey, that is so important and and something that as people and friends and a society, we aren't great at doing, right? Like we throw baby showers and we throw bridal showers and we celebrate weddings, but we don't celebrate the harder times. We don't show up uh, in a ritualistic way for people during the harder times. We don't always celebrate, again, a new entrepreneurial project in the way that we really should be doing, right? Because in, in a lot of ways, that's just as much work and just as much value in that too. And so I think we really want to make an effort to not just mark or show up for each other at those kind of socially sanctioned moments. Yes. I, that's so important. It's like, why is mom throwing me a shower? Cause I got a promotion, you know, like, why isn't that coming up? So I, I think like, it, that's a good point is looking at every single person's wins instead of what, you know, just kind of like going along with what culture is deemed to be wins. And that that's what we show yeah. up for instead. It's like for you as my friend, what are big goals for you that I want to be there to celebrate with you instead of, oh, you have a baby? Great, I'll go to your shower. Oh, you're getting married? I'll go to your exactly. like, Where are those moments that you need me that are wins for you? Because that's going to look different for everybody. 
Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I'm using the word celebrate. It doesn't ha- necessarily have to be this, this big celebration all the time, but I think it's about marking it, right? And so we can take responsibility by really paying attention to what's going on in our friends' lives. But again, this is where we also need to take responsibility to let our friends know what's really important, right? You just got this promotion at work. A friend might not know all of the hard work you've been doing to secure that promotion or even what that necessarily means in terms of responsibilities um, and opportunities. And so really being clear with with each other about, hey, look, this big thing is happening. And and I just wanted to let you know because I'm really excited about it. That's important. And I'm talking about vulnerability as being so present during the difficult moments, right? Feeling lonely, struggling with something. But a lot of people feel very vulnerable when sharing something amazing and when sharing a win and when sharing um, something that we're really proud of. So vulnerability can pop up at any moment um, of our lives. And I think we really want to ideally use that as an opportunity for connection. I almost feel like that's harder, or at least it's for sure harder for me. Like it's, you know, I know we always say to pay attention to who's there for you during the bad times. But I've almost found it, it's it's more telling who's there for you in the good times, like who is celebrating with you instead of just like, oh, I'll help you if you're upset, which is obviously so crucial and important in a relationship. But, you know, there's very few people that I'm like, I count them to be my biggest fans. You know, and I think that's where like the the meat of friendship is that where that shows up is when they're there for you during the really happy times that they're celebrating with you instead of just your shoulder to cry and during the sad times. Yeah. So you're not alone in this. I do polls on these kinds of experiences all the time on my Instagram community. And and very often they relate to, again, feelings of vulnerability or um, the conflict that can come up, right? In moments of struggle or in moments of celebration. And the results are always split. So a lot of people feel similarly that that is in some ways more difficult, more trying. Um, People are split too in terms of what is more of like the telling sign of a healthy friend or a healthy friendship, right? In terms of when they're showing up for you. We talked a little bit before about how the quality of our relationships is so important and the mark of a healthy friendship. Consistency is is also one of those things that is for sure a defining feature of healthy friendships, right? We expect our friends and we want our friends to be there regardless of what we're going through, whether it's a high or a low, uh, regardless of you know who we're with, what's going on in our lives. And to a large extent, that's an appropriate expectation, right? That friend, I, I've said this before, but good friends are consistent, not conditional. And we want to feel that presence and that ongoing consistency from our friends. Now, the caveat to all this is one, we can't possibly be there for each other at every moment, right? Because 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 we have lives, because we have our own needs and we have a need for boundaries. And so while good friends are consistent not conditional, good friendships also can tolerate boundaries. And I think that is something that we haven't spoken all that much about, but is also so essential for cultivating close lasting connections is the ability to set boundaries and the ability to respect each other's boundaries. And so one example that comes to mind is, I hear this a lot from from friends that I'm working with where, for example, one friend is is becoming a parent and the other is struggling with a fertility journey. In that specific example, very often someone might need to put up boundaries and say, you know, I'm not able to have this discussion right now. I'm not in the right headspace or I'm, I'm not able to attend, you know, this gathering because I know that that's going to be very difficult for me. And obviously there's so much nuance here that, you know, we could get into that's very important for understanding the specifics. But I think that it is helpful to think about how 
setting those boundaries allows us to preserve our connections over time, as long as that's done in a way that's respectful of our own needs and somebody else's as well. Uh, Yeah, so communication, boundaries, making your kind of intentions, feelings clear, I think is so important that we don't do enough in friendships and don't talk about enough. On the very flip side of a healthy, boundary-filled relationship, let's talk about how uh, friendship breakups. How do you know it's time to break up and how do you do it? That was a a huge question we got to is, okay, I'm ready to break up. How do we do it? Like, how do we go about this? It's not you, it's me conversation with our friends. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this is a very loaded question. And I just shared this in a talk that I was giving the other week, right? If I asked you, what's the right way to break up with somebody when you're dating them? Chances are you'd have a very clear answer, right? And chances are there would be um, consistency in terms of how people answer that question, right? Ideally, you have a conversation about it. You don't ghost. You don't send a text message, right? Or leave it on a post-it note. You're very clear about what's happening and also ideally clear about what the future holds, right? Um, You don't leave the door open if that's not where your head's at. We don't have that same type of uh, clarity and we don't have that same type of narrative about friendship breakups, that they tend to be a lot murkier, that there isn't one established way of going about it. So this was actually something that I researched when I was doing my PhD research on adult friendships. And so what we found is there are different ways that people end their friendships. The first is the outright discussion, which looks a little bit more like the dating world, where you say... I am no longer committed to this friendship or I'm no longer able to be in this friendship or sometimes it's very mutual, right? I notice that we're really just not on the same page. That discussion can uh, bring up all kinds of feelings, right? Sometimes it works really well when there's this feeling of appreciation and yeah, you know what? I see that we're not friends anymore, but I'm okay with that. And I really appreciate the times that we've had in the past and thank you very much. It doesn't always go that way, of course. And those discussions can be very loaded, especially when people aren't on the same page and it can bring up a lot of pain and hurt. And so very often those discussions are coming from a place of pain and feelings of betrayal and will follow some type of very big conflict. I would actually say that that is the lesser common way that people end their friendships. The much more common way that people end them is through this slow distancing and slow phasing out, where over time, we gradually withdraw the amount of energy and effort that we put into the friendship. And we hope that the friendship will kind of run its course and that the other person will get the message and respond in kind. And again, that works really well when both people are on the same page or are understanding what's happening here and are willing to accept that, even if they might not be thrilled. It works less well when somebody just isn't taking the hint or is very motivated to maintain the friendship and is really working to re-engage and taking on a lot more of that responsibility. And so the struggle is that very often we choose that route, hoping to avoid the difficult conversation when the difficult conversation might be inevitable if there's a mismatch in terms of expectations or feelings. That definitely, yeah. I mean, I'm not even thinking just, I can't even think of one personally, but I know people where that that happens. And like, I hear from other friends saying like, I don't know why I'm not hearing from this person anymore. And it is, it's so, it's it's like heartbreaking when it's happening and it's like brings up all these insecurities and it's just like dating again. Um, 
when, you know, maybe you don't know what's going on. You didn't think anything was. It's so painful. I think, you know, again, this is something that we don't talk enough about and don't normalize enough is not just that friendships end and that friendship breakups happen, but that they can be so incredibly painful and that we often feel very Mm -hmm. alone in, in that moment and in those feelings. And what we do is we tend to judge ourselves and think that we've done something wrong, uh, that we've been a bad friend or that it says something about our self-worth when in reality, it's very normal and common and inevitable that friendships end. And sometimes that's because it just isn't the right time and there's different external factors, you know, bringing us further apart, Um, physical distance, different life stages. Also, we grow and evolve and we might no longer be able to connect over the things that we once connected over. And so I do think it's important that we talk about the fact that this happens, the fact that it is painful and um, that we don't have to be alone in that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I while we're on the topic, I'd love to address and acknowledge the difference between what I would call a friendship breakup. And I'm going to say that that's usually around probably something a bit more tumultuous, like some some kind of falling out happens or fight happens. And then there's that natural growing apart, which just happens from external factors and grow up getting older and who knows what the cause is, but it kind of just happens naturally and slowly over time. How do you know if you've outgrown that friendship or vice versa? And what if it's a friendship with someone that you still have to be around, like a mm-hmm. colleague or mm-hmm. a, a fellow, um, like, uh, you know, maybe a mom of one of your kids' friends or a family member or something like that? Yeah. So how do you know? The thing I always like to emphasize here is that you get to decide, right? There isn't some textbook definition or a list of criteria where every single box has to be checked in order to stay in the friendship. And I think very often we are motivated to stay in friendships by, again, this list of what we think we should do, right? Well, we've been friends for so long. Well, we have mutual friends. Well, you know, we have this one thing in common. Well, I want to avoid conflict, right? Whatever it is. And those generally aren't good enough reasons to stay friends. And it's important that we recognize and feel that choice in our friendships. I mean, something that we didn't talk so much about is that one of the key features of our friendships that differentiates it from our other relationships is they're voluntary, right? We don't choose who our family members are. There is this kind of societal expectation that when you are in a romantic relationship, you will stay committed, right? Now people, that's that's evolving, right? But that's still very present for many people. With our coworkers, we don't often get to choose who those people are either, but we do choose our friends. And so we and our friends have to continuously choose to stay involved in each other's lives. And it's that ongoing choice that makes our friendship so powerful for our self-worth, getting back to your comment before, Josie, but also why it can be so painful when they end, that we no longer feel chosen. And that's really hard. And so I think when you're in a position where you don't feel chosen anymore, or where you sense that, you know, I'm just not motivated to keep choosing this person, that's really telling. And I think at the end of the day, the best question that we can ask ourselves is how do I feel about this person? And maybe more importantly, how do I feel when I'm with this person? Right? There's value and power in our emotions. They are very much a guide and a compass. And it's easy to kind of sweep that in under the rug because of, again, that long list of shoulds. But our friendships are so closely connected to our health and well-being that staying in an unhealthy friendship is worse than not having that person as a friend. Oh my gosh. That's huge. 
It is. And it brings us actually to our audience Q&A. We, we source some questions directly from our audience on Instagram. And the first one hits nail on the head with what you're just talking about. And that is, how can I end a friendship with someone who is clearly struggling, but their problems have become too much for me? Yeah. Oof. Okay. So, you know, I always have to preface these Q&As by saying that you know yourself and your friendships and your lives best, right? And as a clinical psychologist, I'm not in the habit of giving personal advice. I certainly don't do that online, but I also don't do that with clients, right? Very rarely am I sitting with a client in my office or virtually now through teletherapy and I say, this is exactly what you need to do, or this is exactly what you should do, right? Right. That said, but also because again, it, our choice, our sense of agency is so important in our friendships. And so I wouldn't want somebody making a decision based on what I'm saying, because that might not be true for them in that particular friendship, right? And to that point, I think a lot of us could imagine a situation where we have two different friends who may be struggling and how we go about ending that friendship might be very different because of who that person is and because of our friendship history. And so there's so much nuance and contextual detail that it's impossible to give a, a, you know, a general rule of here's what you should do. That being said, I'm happy to share some general guidelines you know, that I think can be helpful here. And the first piece is touching on what we said before, which is make the conversation about yourself if you choose to do that, right? It's not about you're too much and, and you're too needy. And, and actually, as we're talking, I have so many different articles that I've written for the Every Girl over the years that are coming up. I have one on how to, you know, how to recognize when your friendship is unhealthy and how to support a friend who is quote unquote needy. And I don't like using this word because we all have needs. We all have needs. It's normal that we have needs. I think what we're talking about here is when there's a mismatch between the amount that we're willing to give and what a friend is needing or expecting. And so making it about ourselves, I'm not in position, I'm struggling too, or you know, however you frame it, we, you know, we want our friends to, to feel supported. And I think it's, it's, I'm not able to give you what you need, right? I'm not in a position where I'm able to support you in the way that I want to support you and in the way that I see that you need. And these conversations don't seem to be helping. And I think that's maybe an an important distinction here too, right? Is doesn't necessarily always have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be either I stay in this friendship with this friend who I feel like is depleting my emotional resources and, and ability to express compassion and support, or I'm out of here, right? Is there a way that you can broach the conversation so that you're able to hold on to or preserve the aspects of the friendship that are working and that are healthy? Are you able to shift the dynamic between the two of you? Because sometimes it's about you know a fr- a, how much a friend needs or expects from us, but also sometimes it's about what we're giving. And maybe the support that we're giving, we think that's what a friend needs, and it's really not, right? And I see this all the time when it comes to giving advice, right? A friend is struggling. They're opening up about what they're going through. And what do we do? We jump in and say, well, here, you should say this. Or did you try this? Or how about this option, right? And it can feel a bit like you're you're trapped in a vicious cycle or running on a hamster wheel where, again, you revisit the same conversation again the following week and you're giving the same advice. Well, maybe the problem is that this person's actually not looking for advice. They're looking for somebody to sit with them in their heartache, in their pain, in the uncertainty and say this sucks. And I don't have the answers. And I would imagine that's how you're feeling too. But I want you to know that I'm not going anywhere. And I'm here to sit in the suck with you, right? Like so Sometimes that is far more helpful than jumping in with problem solving. And so if we can take a look, not just at what the other person's needs are, but what we're providing, we can shift our behavior because we can't control other people. We can only control ourselves. It's kind of like a love language thing, right? Where it's, you know, you're, you might be like exhausted trying to give someone words of affirmation, quote, whatever that looks like in this circumstance, but all they really want to feel supported is to 
quality time, maybe you sending a gift basket is what makes them feel supported. Like that it's a difference in love language more than it is a disconnect in like, we shouldn't be friends, right? Absolutely. And I think that's where, again, communication comes up, right? Because we more and more are having those conversations with our partners, but less so with our friends. And if we can check in and say, hey, you know, what does support feel like to you? And what would be helpful in this moment? And was it helpful when I just said that? How did you experience that, right? Those types of conversations are so, so important for maintaining that closeness and not depleting our own resources in an effort to support somebody in a way that they aren't actually even experiencing as supportive. Totally. Totally. Okay. Next audience question. This is a juicy one. I think we've all felt this. The person asks, I don't like my friend's new boyfriend and we do have a lot of couples outings. Help. So any advice on what to do if you don't get along or like a friend significant other, how does that dynamic work? What do you do as a friend? I think so many people have been yes, we've all felt this. And as people are listening to this, I'm sure there are a number of heads just nodding in agreement out there, right? It is so hard. Yeah. I think the biggest question that we need... They're getting out their notepads, taking notes. Well, you know, people aren't necessarily going to like the advice that I have because it's not, uh, here's exactly what you should do. It's a, here's what you should ask yourself, which is, do I not like this person because... I wouldn't choose them and they don't reflect the qualities that I'm looking for in a partner? Or do I not like this person because there's something about the dynamic of this relationship that worries me or concerns me? And I think that that is a very helpful starting place because if the answer is, you know what, this isn't somebody that I would choose or this isn't who I imagined my friend would be like, uh, my friend, uh, the kind of person my friend would be with, you know, my answer is, that's not about your friend, right? That's that's yeah. that's about you and you need to work through that. Um, and that can be jarring for a number of reasons. And again, self-compassion is helpful and important here, but that's not an issue with your friend, right? If there's something about the dynamic of the relationship that's concerning or hurtful, right? If a partner, if a friend's partner is not treating you with respect and that certainly happens, or if a, par- a friend's partner is not treating them with respect, or if there's something about your friendship that has really changed um, because of this relationship, which is also a really common dynamic, right? A friend gets into a relationship, it's all new and exciting, and they suddenly have less time to spend with us, and that's really hurtful. Then it's, it's you know, helpful to have a conversation about some of that, and the specifics will vary. But I find the more you can focus not on this other person, but on your friendship with your friend, that is a really helpful route to take. So it's not about, you know, this person's taking all of your time away and I'm, uh, I'm pissed off at them or you've changed and you're never around, right? It's, I miss our friendship. Can we work to find a way to spend more time together? Or again, to prioritize this type of an activity or conversation that we used to have, that would really be meaningful for me. Is that something you miss? I'm missing that. That's helpful. Uh, You know, again, if we're coming back to a situation where we're, we're feeling disrespected, we can say it's uncomfortable for me to be around them, you know, because I, because I don't feel respected and just call it, you know, label it as such and set boundaries in that case, right? I mean, we, again, we don't have control over our friend's behavior and that's really hurtful and difficult to, to sit in, but we can say, uh, you know, I, I really value our friendship and I really feel close to you and want to still feel close to you, but I'm not in a position where I'm able to go out for dinner altogether or whatever it is because, because I don't feel respected, because I don't feel safe. So it really depends on the specifics, but I think it's helpful to 
start the asking of why. Why don't I like this person? And what's that bringing up in me? I like that of checking in with yourself because it's, I mean, obviously it's true. We only can control ourselves, but also what's the best case scenario if you don't like someone's boyfriend or girlfriend and you're, you know, like, are you going to tell them and then they're going to feel less close to you and they're going to maybe, you know, worry about your, like the relationship they have with you. Like what is the best case scenario you can do? So the only thing you can do is to check in with yourself and how do I adjust and change so that I can support my friend and what they need. Yeah, support event and support yourself. Again, sometimes it's about making sure that you feel, again, safe, protected, in a position yeah. to connect with your friend in a healthy way. I feel like there is that that third option, though, yeah. that you mentioned of what if it's from, and I've experienced this personally, yeah. what if it is from a place of not liking how they're treating your friend? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's really hard. And then you voice a concern. And then no matter what, you're there's like a rift because... I don't know. It's just, it's, it's such a hard dynamic and you know, you only have one view of the relationship. Yeah. It's really hard. I mean, again, there's no clear answer here. There's no clear right or wrong answer here. And I think it's a matter of situation, personal values, the extent to which you're worried about a friend. Right. But we can voice that. We can say, you know, I, uh, that made me uncomfortable. How did you feel in that situation? But I think that's the thing. It's centering the friend's feelings and experiences here, right? If you're really concerned about a friend, you want it to be less about how angry you felt and how and your feelings and having the friend be in the position to comfort you about your feelings about their partner and just much more of giving them the space. Because I think very rarely are those conversations one of? Meaning very rarely do we enter that conversation and say, hey, look, here's what I noticed. I'm worried about you. And the friend will say, oh, you're right. I, you know, thanks for pointing that out. I hadn't noticed or, okay, I was just waiting for you to say something. I'm ending this relationship, right? I think the most helpful thing we can do is to just set the stage for potential future conversations, right? And to say, I noticed this. I felt a little uncomfortable. How did you feel? And I want you to know that I'm always here to talk about this. And I'm, you know, depending on the situation, the language we use might differ, right? I'm worried about you. I'm concerned about you. I just, I noticed that you were a little bit quieter than normal, whatever it is. But I think we really want to use those skills and strategies that we spoke about earlier of demonstrating that openness, demonstrating that curiosity, and just being very present. Absolutely. That's such great advice. Last audience question. This is an interesting one. I I think we did touch on this a little bit, but I'm really interested to hear what you have to say. So this person asks, how can I meet someone where they are or accept their friend for who they are while still expecting them to show up as I deserve or want in a friendship? What's that balance? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a big part of being able to maintain healthy friendships is realizing what our friends can and can't give us. And sometimes the answer or the key to navigating the situation successfully is to shift our expectations, right? While simultaneously knowing that we have a right to have our needs met. And so sometimes that might mean reaching out to other friends for a particular type of support, right? Maybe this was a friend, because different friends meet different needs, right? We we typically yeah. have, you know, we, we can have that person that we turn to for emotional support and that other person we turn to for career advice and that other person we turn to for, you know, a fun outing on the weekend. And that's okay. That's okay that not, that one friend doesn't meet all of those needs. But for example, if our friend that we would typically go to for emotional support is emotionally unavailable at that moment because they're going through their own thing, because they're busy, then 
we don't have to just say, oh, well, that's too bad. I've, I've lost that source of support that's been so crucial and so needed. We can then say to ourselves, well, who, who else do I have in my life, right? And who else can I turn to? And how can I start nurturing that type of a dynamic or relationship with somebody else? And if I don't have that person, maybe that's a clue that I want to expand my social network and, and, and meet new people and make new friends. But I also think a big part of this is recognizing the fluidity of friendships, right? That there are ups and downs to life. There are ups and downs to relationships. And when we're in one of those um, more trying times and when we feel that distance, it's really easy to lose sight of the possibility that we might reconnect and things might change for the better and that our friends might become more emotionally available at some point. So that doesn't mean to just sit it out and and not have our needs met. But I do think that sometimes we're far too quick to give up on a friendship because, because, because it's hard to see things as transient or fluid. That's such good That's advice. Awesome. Yeah. And I love that it comes full circle back to making friends as an adult. Yeah. Well, and it, it is very much a circle, right? Like we, this, this process of, of evaluating our social needs and our friends and our friend groups, that's an ongoing thing. We don't just check that off and say, okay, I did that in my early twenties. And so I'm good. Right. We kind of right. need to check in with ourselves periodically, especially at life transition periods and see whether we are feeling supported and feeling that subjective sense of connection that we so deeply crave and need. Yeah. It's an ongoing journey throughout your life. Yeah, for sure. Do we have some time for some really quick rapid fire questions for you before we wrap up? Ooh. Okay. First quick question. What is your favorite TV or movie friendship and why? Oh, okay. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I really feel like I should have uh, asked this. You've never asked this. Okay. No, No, you're the first. Oh my gosh. I feel so much pressure to come up with a, a good answer. You know, now I'm thinking of one. You are thinking of one? Well, yeah, I've never, I've never seen this question. I love oh, this so, question. So you're trying to come up with one. You know what? I'm, I'm forever searching for the, this is not gonna be rapid. You'll see. I have a very like long-winded way of answering things. Um, I'm forever searching for the, the answer to this because I think that so often friendships are portrayed in such an unhelpful way in the media. It's either like, again, this is the group of close-knit friends and they're friends for life and 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 everyone yeah. wants that, right? But it's unrealistic that this group of 10 people has stayed this close and sees each other every night for dinner. I mean, that's wonderful, but that's not happening, right? For most people. Or there's the very competitive female friendships where one person's story is centered and the, there's the protagonist and there's the supporting character, right? And there isn't that sense of balance um, in the friendship. And so I, I, I tend to take issue when I look at it from like a critical lens um, that there aren't that many helpful, healthy, realistic portrayals of friendship out there. Um, that's not to say I don't watch all of these shows with, you know, <laughs> because I do. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's my feeling right now, but I'm going to think about this and I, I, I'm, I'm going to come back to you about, I think I need a, I think I need a go-to rapid fire answer for this is the takeaway. That's really interesting though, because that's a great point. Like there, there really aren't Oh, that's the ideal friendship, especially with female friendships. Like there's nothing that I like, even like sex in the city, but every single person has their thing like that. They're, you know, like there's, there's nothing that's like, wow, that's really healthy, real friendship. Yes. And I mean, I think the, the plot of Samantha no longer being in the friend group was very triggering for a lot of people. Obviously there was 
so yes. much happening in real life that informed people's reactions to that. But I also was seeing, and there were a lot of questions being asked about, well, you know, how could this happen that somebody would leave this group of four people? And how can it happen? It's very easily and it happens all the time. So I think that, you know, that, that was just one example of the expectations that people place on friendships, particularly on women's friendships, for that kind of everlasting closeness that isn't always realistic. And so, yeah, it's easy to see that as like a prototypical answer, but I, I you know, there's a lot to take issue with. <laughs> I think we all have to think of an answer for that. First yeah, one. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to get back to you on this. If you are listening and have an answer, leave it in the uh, comment section. Tell me, tell me what my rapid fire answer should be to this. Yes. Yeah. Make a case for it. All right. Um, best advice you've ever received. Um, Perfect is the enemy of the good that, uh, you know, striving for perfection stops us from doing things that are good enough and from doing good in the world too. That's great. That's great advice. That's the best. Last question. If you could leave our audience with a favorite tool, resource, book, podcast, documentary that has resonated with you or changed your life, what would that be? In terms of books. I probably unsurprisingly, I'm a really big fan of Brene Brown's work who writes a lot about vulnerability is a shame researcher. She's a social worker by training. And a lot of her books, actually, interestingly, one of the, the first one is called the gifts of imperfection, right? So there's a theme here with my answers, but I really do admire her work. And I, I, I find it very helpful, but I also just love the way she tells stories. And actually the other person who comes to mind, Lori Gottlieb wrote a book recently. She's also a therapist. Maybe you should talk to somebody, maybe you should talk to someone. And, um, and it's just a, a, a beautiful glimpse into therapy and uh, just love storytelling. So I think books that tell, have an important message, but tell that through stories as opposed to um, lectures, <laughs> that that's really what I look for and what I find can be very healing and transformative. That's an amazing recommendation. Yeah, we'll share those in the show notes for yeah, everyone. Yeah, please, you're, I'm going to send you a follow-up email and you're going to add to show notes, my favorite uh, uh, media friendships. I'm going to have a long list. I'm going to do my homework and I'm going to have a long list for you. It doesn't have to be an example of a beautiful friendship. It's just like, it, I think the the messier, the better. Just like, which one do you, yeah. you know, makes you laugh or feel or do you love watching banter on the screen? Yeah. So, so we'll yeah. stay tuned No pressure that. that it has to be a healthy <laughs> yeah. relationship. That's okay. No, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to come up with a long list. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Miriam. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, let everyone know where they can find you, your Instagram handle, your website, yeah. all the good stuff. So I am most active on Instagram. Um, my handle there is Miriam Kermeyer. And I share, like I said, different guidance and information about navigating friendships and relationships and uh, life transitions. My website, miriamkermeyer.com has a lot of free resources too. Links to articles, some of which I've written for The Every Girl, uh, but a lot of other written articles and interviews and podcast interviews uh, with tons more information about navigating friendships as college students, mothers, entrepreneurs, so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also on Twitter and, you know, all that good stuff, but feel free to reach out and I always love connecting. So thanks for asking. Awesome. Thank you. This was so much fun talking. Yeah. Thanks to both of you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.